Today our focus is persecuted church, paying attention to those in the body of Christ around the world who are suffering because of their faith. The global mission team has invited uh, Pastor Bill Devlin. Bill Devlin's an old friend of ours. He used to be one of the elders here at New Life Church. We're glad to see Nancy and the family with him as well. Um, He is currently the pastor of missions at Affinity Bible Church and the founder of Redeem which is a nonprofit which uh, sole function is to help persecuted church throughout the world, persecuted Christians. Uh, my advice to you would be to strap in, buckle up, get a helmet if you have one. The Lord's about to do something special. Go. All right. All right. Amen. Thank you, my brother. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, church. Please fasten your seatbelts. How you doing? I'm working on the Bronx translation of the New Testament. So where it says, grace and peace be to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bronx translation. How you doing? Where it says, uh, be careful for nothing and everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace, you know that verse. Bronx translation. Forget about it. Forget about it. Amen. Uh, I'm going to preach the three beasts this morning. You ever heard of the three B's, Tim? Uh, be brief, be blunt, and be gone. So those are the three B's. And our family is here today. I want to give a shout out to my bride of Nancy. Amen. Our daughter, Naomi. Naomi is here with her son, sons, Maximus and Luciano. Has another daughter, Kayla, that's not here today. Her husband, Steve. Our daughter, Sarah. And husband, Andrew, live in uh, Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. And then, of course, we have Luke, the body, Devlin, just married to Colleen Finnegan. And they live in Delray, New Jersey. They could not be here this morning. Then we have Zach and Sir Lynn. Amen. And, uh, you you know, three of our five kids were born here at the church. I mean, not in the church, but uh, they were born here. And uh, his wife, Sir Lynn, their little baby girl just turned one, Ava Joy. And then we have uh, Lydia, our youngest. Where did Lydia take? Okay. Lydia and her husband, Danny, are here with uh, their daughter, Gracie. And Lydia, we just found out. I guess I can announce this publicly, right? Yeah, okay. She's not here, so I'll take. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know how it is up in here. And uh, she's now pregnant with number two, praise God. And uh, so we give glory to God. And I want to give a shout out to New Life Church and glory to God. We came here, moved into the hood over there, 4900 block of North 13th Street in beautiful downtown Logan, one of the garden spots of Philadelphia. Yo, yo, yo. We know the Ashmans are still there after a couple hundred years. And, uh, and you know, I, you, we came here in... August of uh, 1985, shortly after Noah built the ark, and New Life Church received us, loved us well, walked through hard times when our youngest child at that time was diagnosed with terminal cancer. You prayed him to be healed. Amen. Praise God. Yeah, you can give the Lord a hand clap for that. Amen. And... When I was stabbed and almost killed outside our home one night, you guys prayed for us. And we walked through so much here at New Life Church. And I was grateful for the many years I spent as an elder here. I don't know why Pastor John and company ever asked me to be an elder uh, at age 35. And so, but grateful to serve here as an elder for many, many years. So let's give the Lord a hand clap for New Life Church Philadelphia. Praise God. Thank you for your love, and thank you for your invitation today. We are in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. The title of the message today in your bulletin is The Persecuted Church, Broken, Forgotten, Neglected, How Can I Help? And the subtitle is The Three R's of Faith in 2017. Let's open with a brief word of prayer. Father, thank you. For all you're doing in our lives, Lord, we just are so grateful for your grace, your love, and your mercy, and your presence in our lives. Thank you, Lord, that you are here in spirit and in truth. Thank you for the faithfulness of your 
Life Church, its pastors, its leaders, its ministry leaders, the women and men, the teenagers and children that nurtured us as a family for many years. Lord, we're just so grateful for this kind, loving, gracious, on fire church. And now, Lord, as we look at the word of God this morning, open your word to us and we'll give you thanks. Give us the portion that we need today. Lord, for those who came with a sad heart, with a broken heart, maybe with a half heart, Lord, set us on fire, God, for your word. And we'll give you thanks in Jesus' name. And all God's people shouted, amen. The three R's of faith, if you're taking notes, please know the first R is radical. The second R is reckless. And the third R is raw. And I believe as we come to the persecuted church, those are the three R's of faith in 2017. And as we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23, we'll read, I think this is, I'm not sure what version this is from, but whatever version it is, here we go. Paul writes, are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane, I more so. In far more labors and far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, from robbers, from my countrymen. Dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. This is Paul's biography. This is Paul's CV. It's his curriculum vitae. It it is his biography, his life story. Now, if Paul showed up at probably any church in America and said, I'd like to be the pastor here, the Apostle Paul would receive from a church, present company excluded, don't call us, we'll call you. This is a radical application of the gospel when you think about the life of Paul, where he came from. So as we think about this, this is Paul's biography. This is his life story. This is what he went through after he was saved by the power of Jesus Christ, by his blood. And this is where he spent his life. He gave his life for preaching the gospel. And so this morning... I want to walk with you through a part of our personal journey as Nancy and I have 38 years together. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. And five kids and six grandchildren. This is our personal story that I'll share with you as we look at the word of God. But I want you to remember, this is not about us. It's not about me. It's about you and the decisions that you will make to be radical, reckless, and raw. And so we look at that word radical. You know, whenever I'm in churches and I speak in churches across the U.S., my passion is for the persecuted church. Whenever people look at this biography of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians, Paul says that he's insane. He is beside himself. And when I look at the word radical, that would typify what Paul's life was like. About 10 years ago, I began to pray a crazy prayer. I began to pray, Lord, I want you to give me a ministry like the Apostle Paul. Now, that's not a prideful prayer or an arrogant prayer. Rather, it's an activistic prayer. It is a radical prayer. And so as I began to pray that big prayers, and I want to encourage you to pray big prayers here at New Life Church. Amen? Because, you know, oftentimes I think that God looks down at the American evangelical church and as he looks down, he says, you're about to make me lose my mind up in here, up in here. <laughs> now, you got to remember that I pastor in the Boogie Down Bronx. We, we actually call it, uh, 
the Boogie Down Bronx, uh, our church meets in the community center of the Bronx River Housing Project. If you know anything about Bronx River, that's where Cool Herc, back in 1970, began spinning discs. It, thank, all right. And, uh, and, and uh, Cool Herc began to uh, spin those discs, and then Africa Bambata, Fab Five Freddy, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, Zulu Nation, Black Spades. I could go on for a couple of weeks, but I won't. And that was the birthplace of hip-hop music. Fourteen years ago, we planted a church there. It was also called Murrah City and Homicide Capital of the United States. It then became the cocaine capital of New York City. And we planted that church 14 years ago. And every Thursday in the last 14 years, we get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and we have a prayer time around the entire projects. And there hasn't been one homicide in that project in 14 years. Glory to God. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's radical praying, brothers and sisters, radical praying. And so when God looks down at the church, I I, I wonder, what are we doing about the persecuted church? I travel now to 12 different countries. People say, well, how do you know where to go? I said, well, my criteria is threefold. The place has to be hard, It has to be, number one, number two, it has to be dangerous, and number three, it has to be where nobody else is going, any Christians. So they say, well, how do you know where to go? I said, that's easy. I just go to the U.S. State Department website, and wherever they tell Americans not to go, that's where I go. And I begin praying my guts out. Lord, open up the nation of Syria to me. Lord, open up the nation of northern Sudan to me. Now, you might, and on and on, Pakistan, I just returned from Afghanistan. Uh, I do some ministry in Karjakistan. That's in the Bronx. (laughs) Is our faith in 2017 a radical faith? Now, people get radical. Oh, you know, I want to look respectable. Forget about it. I think the American evangelical church has been too addicted to respectability. And P, amen, thank you for that. You can say amen, you know, praise God. I'm a Presbycostal, so half Presbyterian, half Pentecostal. But look at this word, and, and, and it's, a, it's from the Latin word, radix, which means getting to the core, getting to the root. You, you all know what radishes are, right? And, and yeah. I, I guess the mom cooks radishes or something. But look at the definition of, wor- of the word radical. It means favoring extreme changes in existing views, habits, conditions, or institutions. Can I get a witness on that somewhere up in here? And I think oftentimes the church is addicted to mediocrity. Well, we're not going to do that because we'll look a little strange. Hey, I'm crazy. I'm crazy for Jesus. And I don't care what people think. As long as I'm obeying and honoring the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to be crazy just like the Apostle Paul. Amen? I've given up on respectability because there's too much of it in the American Evangelical Church. Oh, we can't do that. You know, we're... That's why when Martin Luther King preached on the Washington Mall back in 1963, I remember his words, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. When, you, when we begin practicing radical Christianity, then we are free from our reputations. We're free from what other people think of us. Imagine the Apostle Paul. You know, God has called me to be the prophet to the nations, according to Acts 9.15, if you want to look up that verse. And God called and said, Go. I said in Sunday school this morning, a number of years ago, God began to burn a hole in my heart for the persecuted church. And it was during that time that people were saying to President Obama, boots on the ground, boots on the ground, you know, go into Iraq. And you know what the Holy Spirit said to me? How about your boots, Pastor Devlin? How about your boots? You see, the radical application of the word of God means that we must take the word of God and not say you, but we need to say me. What am I doing for the persecuted church? And so God, I looked at the word God, and what are the first two letters in the word God? G-O. What are the first two letters in gospel? G-O. What are the first two letters in good news? G-O. I think God is trying to tell us something. 
Go, go, go. And so when everybody was saying to President Obama, boots on the ground, boots on the ground, the Holy Spirit said to me, where are your boots, Devlin? And I said, Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do. I was pastoring a church in Manhattan, great church. People love me, surprising. I love them. I went to my elders and I said, I'm out. I'm out. It was my own personal shark tank. And they said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to the persecuted church. They said, okay. Do you know anybody over there? I said, no. And I said, but I've heard too many stories about how our brothers and sisters in Christ are dying daily. And I said, I don't care if anybody else is going, I'm going to go. And they said, well, where are you going? I said, I don't know. I said, all I know is that I'm going to go to where Christians are dying. And so I began to pray. I said, Lord, open up the nations to me. Brothers and sisters, I want to communicate to you, that is a radical prayer. You know, it's okay. We can pray for Aunt Tilly's hemorrhoids and Uncle Henry's lumbago. But are we praying big prayers, New Life Church? Are we praying huge prayers for God to open up the nations to us? You know, when you think about the city of London, the last 10 years, 100 churches in London have closed. How many new mosques? 432. We're losing the battle. We're losing the battle. And whenever I go amongst the persecuted church in Iraq, in Pakistan, in Afghanistan, and just think, just a few, seven, eight hours ago, in over a dozen countries, maybe as close to 50, Christians meeting in secret. I just came back from Afghanistan. I praise God. God opened up the door to go into Afghanistan. The U.S. ambassador to Afghanistan sent me an email. He said, Pastor, he said, we appreciate your, you know, your thoughts of coming. And he said, it's very dangerous here. I said, ah, that fits my criteria. And he said, well, you're going to come. And then he sent me 12 pages about why I shouldn't come. And praise God, I prayed and I said, Lord, open up the nation to Afghanistan to me. And God has opened up the nation of Afghanistan. Now, who am I? I'm not in God's who's who. I'm in God's who's he. I'm a nobody pastor from the boogie down Bronx in Karjakistan. And yet I want my life to be an example to all of you to pray big prayers and to be radical. Do we need extreme changes in our existing views as it pertains to the persecuted church? You bet we do. Because, brothers and sisters, when you think about the nation of Iraq, 10 years ago, 1.5 million Christians in Iraq. 10 years later, only 200,000. They've been murdered. They've been persecuted, thrown into jail. And now they're escaping. They can't stay there anymore. And the polit- as you know, as you look at the news every day, the world is boiling and roiling over and over. And, brothers and sisters, it is time to actively and radically minister to the persecuted church. Because if not us, then who? And if not now, then when? And so five years ago, I went to the church and I said to my brother elders, I said, I'm I'm out. What are you going to do? I said, I'm going to the persecuted church. Another church where I am now, Infinity Church in the Boogie Down Bronx, pastor there called me and said, we want you to be a part of our pastoral team. And I said, I'd love to come. I had worked with this brother over the years, a Latino church, predominantly Latino and African-American, and I said, I'll come. I said, I have two provisions. I shared this with Sunday school. They said, what? I said, I want to be out of the United States three weeks out of every month with permission of my wife and five kids. They said, what's the other provision? I said, I want you to pay me a dollar a year. They said, why? And I said, I want to go off the salary at the church. I want to not depend upon a church to pay my salary, pay me a dollar. And the guy, the pastor, yeah, of course we'll pay you a dollar a year. And I said, I want to go on. I want to raise my own support. I have no idea where it's going to come from, but I'm just going to do that because here's the thought when we practice radical Christianity. I want to jump out of the airplane without a parachute and let Jesus be my parachute. Can I got a witness on that somewhere up in here, up in here? You see, that is what our faith demands. And when you read the Apostle Paul's biography, that's exactly what he did. And so, as I looked at 
The word radical, it says favoring extreme changes. Brothers and sisters, I need to be a better husband, a better father, a better grandfather, a better leader, a better pastor, a better missionary, a better evangelist each and every day. So I say, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And if there be any wicked way in me, lead me in the way of everlasting. I just returned from two weeks in Puerto Rico. I, you know, Puerto Rico doesn't fit my criteria. It's not hard. It's not. Well, now it is. I got a call from a New York City councilman. He just called up Pastor Councilman Fernando Cabrera, Democrat, New York City Council. And he said, you're coming to Puerto Rico. I, I said, I am. He said, yeah, we're going to, you know, down there for two weeks, we helped over 2,000 families delivering food. We had to cross a river this Tuesday with water on our shoulders going in. You, you see, I contend when we practice this radical faith on the cutting edge of faith, that is where the true joy is, brothers and sisters. That's where you find that close, intimate fellowship with God, even as the Apostle Paul did. Amen? And we're there. And, you know, if we want a nice quiet, comfortable Christianity, an ice cream sundae with whipped cream and a cherry on top will never really experience the joy that comes with a radical, reckless faith. So that's why, next screen, that's why when we look at the Word of God, the Apostle Paul said, I'm a madman. I'm beside myself because the passion for the gospel is so deep within my soul. I've got to do something. I've got to go. And that's what God began to burn in my heart. Three years ago, I had the opportunity, and I, I want to give a shout-out to my bride because, you know, we work in partnership. She's been teaching us, a sixth-grade teacher for 15 years up at Calvary Christian Academy. Huge ministry amongst the young sixth-graders up there. Three years ago, I heard about Pastor Saeed Abedini. You all remember him. American-Iranian pastor there in Iran, creating, starting Christian orphanages. And one time when he was over there, he was American passport, Iranian citizen, born there, was converted to Jesus Christ in the year 2000, along with his mother, father, his wife, Nagma, their entire family. I know the entire family. And I communicated with Nagma, his wife. She had been going around the world uh, asking for the release of her husband, American government didn't know what to do. I heard about it. I went down to Washington, D.C., and I said, who's going to Iran to get him out? They said, oh, you can't get into Iran. I said, you can't. I said, I serve a God who can do the impossible. <laughs> Just think about the word impossible. I am possible. Think about that. And so we believe that the God who can do the impossible, think about this. What did Paul say in the book of Philippians? Last time I read, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. And so I said, I'm going to go to Iran. And so Nancy and I met with Nagma, his wife, and she says, I, I, I pray it took me 11 months to get a visa to Iran. People's pastors were telling me, diplomat, you'll never get into Iran. And you know what I say? My watchword for what I do, if you cannot explain it, then you know that God is in it. Amen? Let me repeat that. Write that down. If you cannot explain it, so people say, how'd you get into Iran? I, I don't know. And so Nagma's wife said, what are you going to do? I said, well, he has a seven-year sentence. He served two. He's got five years left. I'm going over there. I'm going to meet with some Iranian diplomats, and I'm going to say to them, if you let Pastor Saeed out, I'll serve the remaining five years of his sentence. And his wife looked at me. She said, you're nuts. And I said, amen. Radical Christianity. Look what Paul said. See, Paul got to the root, the radical, the radix. He gave up all for Christ. Are we today, as we sit here at New Life Church, are we willing to give up all for Christ I remember one time I spoke at a Christian college, about 600 kids there. I said, at the conclusion of my message, I said, anybody, I closed my eyes, I said, anybody that wants to come with me and die for Jesus Christ, come forward. I thought, well, this is going to be pretty embarrassing. I'm going to pray and I'm going to open up my eyes and nobody's going to be here, right? I mean, who wants to die for Christ? But that's what this message is all about. It's about dying for Christ, 
going to the persecuted church. You say, well, pastor, I can't go. Okay. If you want to come with me, maybe you can go. I, I, I'll give you a promise. I'll pay for a one-way flight. Now, people laugh and they say, well, why one-way flight? Because there are no guarantees in our faith. Amen. The only guarantee we have is our eternal salvation by the blood of the Lamb slain before the foundations of the world. That's our only guarantee. I mean, death is not even guaranteed. The rapture comes, praise God, we're out. At least those of us who believe in the rapture, if you don't believe in the rapture, then you can stay and we'll be worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah! And, sorry, that's... I'm an equal opportunity offender, amen? So death is not even guaranteed, but the guarantee is our eternal salvation. No one can pluck you out of the Father's hand. So am I looking forward to dying for Christ? Maybe. It's not that I'm pursuing martyrdom, but I want to go. And I want you to come with me if you can't go. Then you can find an organization that is ministering to the persecuted church, give financially to them, pray for them. But you know what you can also do? You can fast. God called me to a life of prayer and fasting. Fat, whenever you start talking about fasting, by the way, that's abstaining from all food and only drinking water, all of a sudden you hear this big thing in the American evangelical church. Ooh, fasting, wait a minute. I, you know, Paul says to buffet your body. No, he said bu- buffet your body. He, <laughs> we, we think it's buffet, but it's <laughs> buffet your body. <laughs> You know, and when the, when the apostles were sent out in the early church and Jesus gave them the authority to raise the dead, to heal the sick, and to cast out the demons, and what happened? They came back, and they said to Jesus, we got punked out there. We, 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 we were played. We, we failed in our mission. And you know what Jesus said? He said, some things don't come about except by prayer and fasting. So are you a faster? Are you willing? You know, Jesus said in every one of the Gospels, he said, in order to follow me, you had to do three things. You know, we forget about this. He said, number one, you have to deny yourself. How are we denying ourselves? In order to minister to the persecuted church, to say, God, we pray against spiritual wickedness in high places, as Paul did in Ephesians. We pray against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness in high places. You know why Paul prayed that prayer? Because he was going to Ephesus, and they worshipped goddesses, the sex goddess. And he knew what he was walking into. And so he prayed against the prince, the demonic prince, the satanic prince of Ephesus. And look at what God did in the life of Paul, a nobody for Jesus. And then you look at what 1 Peter says. We are peculiar people. We are the riffraff. We're the Jesus freaks, the offscouring of the earth. We are the undesirables, the lowest of the lows. We are fools for Christ. Amen? So good morning, fools. Don't be offended by that because that's what the world calls you. That we're willing to die for Christ? Yes, we are. So are we fasters? God began to speak to me. You know, and and helping the persecuted church, how can I help? You can fast one day a week if medically indicated. God began to burn a hole in my heart years ago, and so now I fast every Saturday night beginning at 10 p.m., and I fast till 2 p.m. on Monday. No food. 40 hours. Why did I choose 40 hours? Because 40 in the Bible is what? That 40 days in the wilderness, 40 years in the desert, 40 is the number of trials and tribulations. Jesus said, number one, we have to deny ourselves. New Life Church, how are you denying yourself? Number two, Jesus said you have to pick up your cross. And it's not your spouse, by the way. Pick up your cross, and then, number three, follow him, even to the hard and dangerous places of the world. You know what breaks my heart when I go to Iraq and Iran? I'll finish the story about Iran in a minute. When I go over there, you know what the persecuted Christians tell me, the men and women and teenagers? They say, 
Abuna Abu Zakaria. That's my Middle Eastern name. How, how come you're the only one that comes? Now, I'm not promoting myself. I'm not, I, but it breaks my heart that they say you're the only one that comes and sits and sleeps in the tents with us. Why is it only you? Where, where are all the others? They should be here. We're dying. Iraq, 1.5 million Christians, now only 200,000. Murdered, murdered, murdered. They're dead. And the demographics show in the next 10 years, in the birthplace, it's called the Nineveh Plain, Christianity will no longer exist. Why? I'm afraid to go. Do you know the call of Jesus when he said in Matthew 28, go into all the world and preach the gospel, go to the nations? Jesus never gives provision for safety, security, or comfort. And what do we want in America? Safety, security, and comfort. That's what we want. So when I told Nagma, and then I went over and I said to the, I met with the Iranian diplomat, Mohammed Kazai, and I said, he said, what are you doing here, Pastor? I said, look, I said, I'm here to ask for the release of Pastor Saeed Abedini. I got my visa. I'm here for eight days. And they said, what do you want to do? I said, I've created this thing called PEP, P-E-P, the Prisoner Exchange Program. And they were like, what's that? I said, I made it up. He's like, okay. I I make a lot of stuff up for the glory of God. Amen? Radical. And so he said, what do you want to do? I said, he served two years, five years. If you release him, I'll serve out the remaining five years of his sentence. He said, get out of here. But here's the important thing I wanted to share about my bride because we're in ministry together. She's released me. The night before I left, we're laying in bed praying for our kids and grandkids as we do just about every night. And Nancy said, you're leaving tomorrow. I said, yeah. She said, what's the plan? I said, it's pretty basic. You'll either see me in two weeks or you'll see me in five years. And you know what this woman of faith said? She asked me, she said, has God called you to do this? And I said, yes, he has. And then she said, And, amen. You can give a clap to the Lord. Amen. Shout out to the Lord. And that's a woman of faith. So women, do you have that kind of faith that you would release your husband to go to prison for five years? Praise God. Two years ago, I went to rescue two pastors from jail in Sudan in Khartoum. And they locked me up. I said, look, I just came to visit these guys. They said, come with us. And I created this international incident. Everybody was mad at me, but you know what? Everywhere, if you read the book of Acts, everywhere that the apostles and disciples went and preached the gospel, there was a riot in that town. Wah! Everybody went crazy. They're preaching the gospel. That's what I do. Hey, in Sudan, I'm preaching the gospel in mosques. And people say, couldn't they behead you? I said, sure. But I just say, salam alaikum, alaikum, salam, insha'Allah, alhamdulillah, kefahalaku wa akbar. What does that mean? It means please don't behead me because my medical plan doesn't cover my head being separated from my body. No, it doesn't. But the point is, we must go. If we can't go, then we must give. If we can't give, then we must fast. And when you live, as I shared with Sunday school this morning, brothers and sisters, when you live on that cutting edge of faith, Will you say, Lord, I'm jumping out of the plane without a parachute. I'm going to let Jesus be my parachute. That's where true faith is. You look at these names here. William Carey, Adoniram Judson, Amy Carmichael, Gladys Alward, Mary Slessor, Lottie Moon, George Lyle. You know that George Lyle was the first American missionary to go to a foreign country? African-American brother went to Jamaica in 1774. Next slide. Now, how about that word reckless? You know, we think, oh, man, this guy, he's asking us to be reckless. And you know what? I am. In fact, as I look at the clock, uh, Pastor Tim said I had till three, so we'll be done shortly. (laughs) I won't keep you long no matter how long it takes. But look at the word reckless. Does this match our faith in Christ? Look at the word reckless. What does the word reckless mean? It means 
marked by a lack of proper caution. You look at the Old Testament, all the prophets, they lack proper caution. They went out with the word of God and they preached the word of God, not thinking of themselves. You look at the first century apostles. You look at the 20, the 2,000 years of the history of the martyrs, whether they're from Armenia or Syria or Africa or Asia or the Central and South America. They were careless of the consequences, brothers and sisters. They just went without safety, without security without comfort. And they said, I'm giving all for Christ. And I don't care what happens to me. You know, all the early apostles, every one of them, save John and, of course, Judas, they all died a martyr's death. Peter, tradition says, was crucified upside down. They tried to boil the apostle John in a pot of boiling oil and they dipped him in and tradition says he escaped that's why they we got to get rid of this guy sent him to patmos saw the revelation but every one of them died him saint thomas went all the way to india and as soon as he got there they speared him to death bartholomew and thaddeus went to preach the gospel and then what was armenia they were thrown into a frozen lake and died of hypothermia. Our media has a long history of martyrs. Reckless, marked by lack of proper caution. That's how we need to live our faith in 2017. Next slide. Reckless. I'm not gifted to be reckless. That's why I want to give you this definition this morning, brothers and sisters. Reckless for Jesus is a learned ability to take risks for Jesus Christ. It's a learned ability. When I got my visa to go to Afghanistan, I, everybody, don't go, don't go, don't go. I, man, I was scared to death. But the passion of the persecuted church in Sudan, I went over there to rescue a Muslim woman who is the number one human rights and women's rights activist in Afghanistan. Everybody was saying, except my wife, everybody was saying, don't go. People say, well, you must have a lot of life insurance. Hallelujah. Amen. The learned ability to take risk for Jesus Christ. Next slide. Here I am with, in Syria when I go there, I work with Al-Qaeda. See this guy in fatigues? The trademark, traditional black turban of Al-Qaeda and Al-Nusra. People say, you ride with Al-Nusra and Al-Qaeda? Yeah. How did that happen? I don't know. I can't explain. <laughs> Hallelujah. You see, when we're at that place, next slide, when we're at that place where we're willing to go, because God's not looking for ability, brothers and sisters. He's looking for availability. Now, I don't know how it breaks down for you. It's saying, look, this message really doesn't apply to me. But it does. Because maybe God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is speaking to you in a still, small voice and saying, Go. Go. God did the same thing to me. Boots on the ground. If not me, then who? And if not now, then when? So I restructured my entire life in order to go to the persecuted church at the age of 60 years old. My kids say, Dad, you're old as dirt. I say, yeah, but what's the alternative? Are you willing to go? Are you willing to come with me to the far-flung places of the world to preach the glorious gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? And to go and minister to the persecuted church. Here I am in Gaza with Hamas. God has opened up the door for me to share Jesus with Hamas. I tell you, it's glorious. Can't they kill you? Yeah, but when I go in, I hand them all lollipops and candy. They haven't killed me yet. Amen? Next slide. So I want to go to those places where Gaza, think about Gaza. 1.8 million Muslims and only 1,000 Christians left and they're persecuted every day. I'm going to show you a slide in just a minute about a man who was shot and almost killed in Gaza. Here I am in an abandoned building. 100,000 widows and orphans in abandoned buildings. These are Yazidis, persecuted by Muslims, run out of their homeland in Sinjar province in, in western Iraq and Kurdistan. As I shared with Sunday school, I didn't know one person in Iraq three years ago, and I began to pray. I began to fast, and I said, Lord, open up the nation of Iraq. And God now has opened up 22 IDP camps with 20,000 people each. Do the math. 
400,000 people that live in UN camps and another 100,000 that live in abandoned buildings. Half a million people, and God has opened up that door to a nobody for Jesus. Imagine what God can do with your life. Each of you are here today for a special reason, to hear this word. But also to think about, what can I do for the persecuted church? Maybe God's calling you to go. Are we praying our guts out for our brothers and sisters who are being murdered every day? Three years ago, I didn't know one person in Iraq. Now I know tens of thousands. God can do big things in your life. Don't pray the little prayers. They're okay. You can pray. But pray that God would give you the nations. And so it's a learned ability. Hey, I, I walked away from a salary and benefits at a great church in northern Manhattan. It had tripled in size in five years. No thanks to me. And then I said, I got to go. I got to go. I have this hole in my heart that God has burned in me for the persecuted church. Will you go? Will you pray? Will you give? A hundred thousand. You notice there's no men in this picture. Why? They're all dead. Three generations, if you look at the woman on the top left in the white, grandma, mom, and daughter, all widows, all husbands, Yazidis, murdered, all these kids, all orphans. I'm involved, next slide, I'm involved with the team that's rescuing girls from ISIS. These three girls we helped to rescue from ISIS. I've sat with 12-year-olds. There's going to be some tough pictures here as I conclude. Picture is worth a thousand words. Because I want to give you the gravity of how the American Evangelical Church must act today, not next year. And they say, how come you're the only one? I don't want to be the only one. It breaks my heart when I sit with young women, 12, 15, 19 years old, that have been raped over a thousand times. One woman I was with in January this year, sitting with her in this tent, in some far-flung city in northern Iraq and Kurdistan. She said, Abuna Abu Zakaria, I kept track of every time an ISIS terrorist raped me. It was over a thousand times. I've talked to 12-year-olds who have been savaged, sexually assaulted. Who will, these are Yazidis. Who will go and share Christ with them? Next slide. Here's raw, the last word. You know what raw is? It's not being in polished form. Which one of us is together, right? What did Jesus say? He said, and Paul understood this, because Jesus said in order to lose our, in order to gain our life, what do I, I gave it away, when we, in order to gain our life, what do we have to do? We have to lose it. So people come to our church, people come to me, pastor, I'm losing and I'm losing. I said, that's great, that's great, good, lose it. Lose it for Jesus, and that's what the Apostle Paul did. Think about that verse. He was sleepless nights, shipwrecked, beaten, stoned, went hungry, went thirsty, all for the cause of Christ. Am I? You see, I always direct this to me. What am I doing? I, I don't know what you can do. A number of years ago, as God began to burn that hole in my heart for the persecuted church. You know, and the Holy Spirit says some crazy things to me. Holy Spirit said, stop wearing socks. This is the greatest gospel opportunity I've ever had in my 46 years of following Jesus. I'll be at some big business meeting down at the U.S. State Department, and I'll sit down and hike my pants up, and everybody, all of a sudden, every eye is on my ankles. And invariably, one of the State Department officials, because I report in about once every quarter, they want to, Pastor, don't tell us what you're doing over there, okay? <laughs> and they look at my ankles and they say, uh, Pastor Devlin, did, did you forget your socks today? And I say, no. They say, well, why don't you wear socks? I said, it's to remember the persecuted church. 
You see, we need daily reminders, brothers and sisters, about what's going on. And where did I learn that from? Because William Wilberforce, who was a member of the British Parliament back in the early 1800s, you know what he did? Every morning he woke up, he would put a pebble in his shoe to remind him that there were still slaves on slave ships that were being run by the British government. Now, I'm not man enough to put a pebble in my shoe, but God told me to give up wearing socks. You may say, well, this, that's the silliest thing I've ever heard from. Why would you even mention it? Because we need practical things to remind us about the persecuted church. That's why I fast 40 hours a week, as I'm doing right now. That's why I don't wear socks. That's why I go, go, go. Then we have to ask ourselves, what am I doing? You say, yeah, you're the most unpolished pastor I ever saw. You know, you, you wear respectable looking. I got this suit from a funeral home in Brooklyn. I did the service, and I went to a funeral director. I said, hey, I, that guy probably doesn't need it. I said, I need it. Just kidding. <laughs> Bang. Not being in polished, finished, or processed form. That's you. You're never going to be finished. So what are we waiting for? Next slide as we begin to conclude. Here's a young woman and her son we rescued from ISIS. Raped hundreds of times. She's now in safety in Germany. Next slide. Here's a young woman. Her name is Lamia, L-A-M-I-Y-A. We rescued her from the city of Mosul. This is about a year ago. She's walking out with her two cousins, all three sex slaves, 15, 16. She's 18 years old. They walk out. They hit a roadside bomb that ISIS has put all over cities there in Iraq, places that they took over. Two cousins immediately killed, blown apart by the IED. Lamia took takes the bomb in the face, loses the right eye. I'm in Gaza ministering there. They call me up and they say, Pastor, can you send us $1,000? We need to get to Stuttgart, Germany to save the other eye. I said, absolutely, I'm going to wire it today. She's now an international spokeswoman for the persecuted Yazidis. Next slide. Here's a young couple, August of 2014. Married two weeks. It's a hard picture. You might have to look away. Married two weeks. ISIS comes in. They're Yazidis murders him and takes her as a sex slave. She says, I don't want to have anything to do with ISIS. There were 6,000 young women between the ages of 8 and 30 that were taken as sex slaves by ISIS. Who will go to them? You know, it's, it's amazing. I have not met one person from Planned Parenthood in all the countries I go to. Uh, not, one, not one person from the atheist society. There is a huge vacuum, brothers and sisters, to go to the hard, dangerous places where nobody else is going. Who will go? She was held for two months. You know, and many of these 6,000 girls, 3,000 have either been rescued, committed suicide, or were murdered by ISIS. There's still 3,000 out there somewhere in the world. And God has called me to go share Jesus with them. And I didn't know one three years ago. So they take her. She says, after two months, I'm having nothing to do with you. So, okay, we're going to teach you a lesson. In a bizarre, demonic, satanic way, they slit her throat, they drained her blood out, and then they stitched it back up, and then they posted these pictures on Facebook. Next slide. Just a month ago, I was in contact with her mother and father. They went back to where they thought that she was murdered, and they found her in an unmarked grave somewhere in the backwater of Syria. And they dug up her decomposed body after it was there for three years, and they brought her back to her home city and buried her there. Ooh, oh. Who will go? Next slide. Here's my brother, Hana. Invites his Muslim, he's in Gaza, invites his Muslim neighbor over for tea, sits down, Muslim neighbor pulls out his gun, bang, 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 shoots him six times. He lays there bleeding. Police come. They grab Hannah. They bring him to the hospital. And I said, Hannah, I said, I want to see your scars for Jesus. You know, it's, a, it's, a, it's something else when you go there to see our brothers and sisters in Christ who've been stabbed, shot, persecuted, electrical cords to the men, their genitals, women,
to their genitals. We're talking about suffering for Jesus. Who will go? I said, Hannah, I said, with all due respect, please lift up your shirt. Next slide. I want to see what happened to you. And they had to open him up from his throat down to his symphysis pubis in order to get out all the bullets. And so now he talks like this. And I just met with him three months ago for the third time in Gaza. I've been to Gaza about 20 times. I'll be there November 16th. And he says, I don't care what they do to me, my Muslim neighbors. I am still going to love Jesus, and I'm going to love my Muslim neighbors for Jesus. I don't care if they kill me. That's faith. And yet here we are in America. And what do we want? We want more. We want more. We want more. Nancy and I have made a decision to give up everything for Jesus Christ. And if it means our death, then it means our death. Next and final slide. Here's a young woman. I'm in Sharia camp, IDP camp in Iraq. She walks in, and I bring over about $10,000 in a hand, families, a couple hundred dollars just to buy food, some personal hygiene items. Bashi walks in. And I'm like, with her dad, I'm like, this doesn't look good. She has a scarf around her face. And I said, Bashi, and I do three things. Tell me your story. I'm here to help you financially, and I'm here to share the love of Jesus Christ with you. She says, ISIS coming into our town. I knew what they were going to do. They were going to take me as a sex slave. I went to my kitchen. They cooked with, and heat with kerosene. I poured kerosene over my face and head. And then I lit my face on fire. And my face melted. Isis came by, opened up the door. Oh, we don't want her. What do you say to a woman like that? The Holy Spirit said, say this, Pastor. And, you know, when you're on the cutting edge of faith and when you're empty of yourself, when you're empty of yourself, of myself, I believe that's when the Holy Spirit really begins to work. Amen. And so I said, Bashi, I bet you have a beautiful smile. That's all I said. And she began to slowly unwrap her scarf. She handed me her ID card, and she said, this is what I used to look like. Next slide. And then I looked at her melted face. I said, Bashi, I said, I'm here to help you financially. I'm here to show the love of Jesus Christ. Next slide, please. So where's your faith today as we conclude? Let me give you five last words that I want to share with you. Where is your passion? Where, you know, we get so excited about the Philadelphia Eagles. And oh, we get so excited about the Phil. I'm number one Phillies fan. Forget about it. Who cares? Where's your passion? Men, where's your passion? Women, where's your passion? Is it for the persecuted church? We have sisters and brothers of the faith that are dying every day. As we come to celebrate the Lord's Supper, you think about that. What's my passion? Number two, it's a word you never hear, the word zeal. No, nobody talks about zeal. You know, as God has called me to be a prophet to the American church and a prophet to the nations, and I say that respectfully, not pumping my own self up. What's a prophet? You know, prophets, nobody liked them. They always had to say hard things, and they died early deaths. Have a nice day. You know, it's like the guy that went to the doctor, and the doctor said, look, I have good news for you, and I have bad news. And the guy said, what's the good news? And the doctor said, you only have 24 hours to live. The guy was like, really? He said, that's the good news? Give me the bad news. And the doctor said, I wasn't able to reach you yesterday. So the good news is, is that Jesus is alive. Hallelujah. He's alive. He's alive. And he's got the message of new life. He's got the message of redemption, of liberation, of freedom, of forgiveness. That's the good news we need to take to the world. Amen. What's the bad news? We got to do it. Yeah. That, well, I mean, it could be bad news because you may go and you may die. 
Where's your zeal? Where's your passion? Number three, what type of legacy do you want to leave to your family? I want my kids to know that I'm nuts. I want my grandchildren to read stories and say, wow, my grandfather was sold out for Jesus. He went to the persecuted church to be among them. And you know what I say to the persecuted church when they're, I say, you are not forgotten. You are not forgotten. New Life Church Philadelphia prays for you every day. You're not forgotten. And I want to be like Jesus to them. What did Jesus say? I will never leave you or forsake you. Can we say that to the persecuted church? That's the legacy I want to leave. Number four, pray big prayers. Pray huge prayers. As one of the great missionaries of the church said, give up your small ambitions. You know, I love what Jim Elliott said, no man is a fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Remember that? Martyred for Christ in the jungles of Ecuador. Short time later, his wife, now a widow with a 10-month-old baby, Valerie, Elizabeth Elliott went to her mission board and said, I got to go back. You talk about passion, zeal, legacy, big prayers for God to stretch you. Elizabeth Elliott said, I want God to stretch me and disappeared into the jungles of the Ecuador, Ecuadorian jungle to the same group of people that killed her husband and four others with a 10-month-old baby. Radical, reckless, and raw. Is that your faith? Let's close in prayer as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper. Lord Jesus, have mercy upon the persecuted church. And Lord, have mercy upon us. And Lord, I say this to myself for my lethargy. Lord, forgive me for my insolence. Lord, forgive me for my laziness, Lord. Forgive me for my lack of Forgive me, Father, for my lack of commitment. And Lord, our our hearts break for our brothers and sisters who are dying by the sword, by the bullet. Lord, we think of those 20 Coptic Christians that knelt on the shores of the Mediterranean Sea and had their throats slit, and every one of them was given the opportunity to deny their faith in Jesus Christ, and they all said no. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. So today as we conclude our service, brothers and sisters, maybe you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ. You're hearing this message, but you've, maybe you just came to this church today. If you'd like to pray a prayer to invite Jesus Christ into your life for the very first time, pray a prayer that I prayed 46 years ago A month before I left for Vietnam, I was shared the gospel by a young man, rolled up on me as we were both hitchhiking in the San Diego freeway, June 23rd, 1971. If you want to pray this prayer for the very first time, just repeat after me, either in your heart, in your mind. You don't have to pray it out loud, but just pray, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. I turn my back on my sin. And right now, I ask Jesus into my heart and life. Save me, Jesus. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead and I now receive him as my Lord and Savior. Wash me in your blood. I pray this prayer with all my heart. If, if you prayed that prayer, would you just lift your hand and say, Pastor, would you, would you pray for me? I prayed that prayer. Anyone here today? I prayed that prayer. I prayed that prayer. Thank you. you. may put your hands down. Praise God. And now, Christian, how about you? I'm not looking around, but as we hear the word of God today from 2 Corinthians 11, if you're willing to join me, just by raising your hand and say, Lord, I'm not sure what you're calling me to do, but by raising my hand, I'm willing to go wherever you want me to go, even it's to my family, to my neighborhood, to my block, to my community, to my university, to my college, to my school, to the neighbor down the street, to my workplace, to the women in my neighborhood. 
Lord, I'm willing to go wherever you want me to go. Just raise your hand, a commitment between you and God. I'm not looking around. Nobody's looking around. Just raise your hand and say, Lord, I'm willing to go wherever you want me to go. I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. And, Lord, if you call me to martyrdom, I'm willing to die for Jesus Christ for the sake of the gospel. If you're willing to make those words in your own heart and life, just raise your hand. Say, join me as I raise my hand. Say, yes, Lord, I'm willing. I'm willing to practice radical, reckless, and raw faith. You may put your hands down. Lord Jesus, thank you for this loving, kind, gracious church. Pray for my brothers and sisters and teenagers and children, all that make up New Life Church. Thank you for them. And Lord, help us to apply the word of God to our lives today. We prayed in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.